Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. All of you can very well appreciate, I'm sure, that elections throughout history have been periods defined by hotly contested debates, where emotions are high and in some cases threaten to boil over. We've seen instances where candidates allow their feelings to get the best of them, and they blow their top. It's like this now, and it seems as though it's always been like this, since the dawn of representative government. No election, however, compares to the 1902 gubernatorial race on the small Caribbean island of Martinique. The election was heating up in the city of St. Pierre, and for incumbent governor Louis Moutet, re-election was no guarantee. Voter turnout, it appeared, might play a pivotal role if he were to retain his office. He leaned on officials to make sure all of the information being relayed to voters was positive and portrayed him in a positive light. His opponent, meanwhile, stressed the fact that his rival was full of hot air. Election day was still three days away. The race was close, too close to call. The citizens of St. Pierre held their breath for the results. But after all, regardless of who won and who lost, this election certainly wasn't a matter of life or death. Or was it? On an explosive new episode of the Missing Chapter podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I am Phil Schaff here with Phil Horner, and we usually start off every episode by talking about what's brewing in the room today. Well, before we do, we're going to throw some numbers at you. So, Phil, we, we got some numbers. We want to see if the listeners can figure this out. So in your car uh, and your earbuds, wherever you're at, let's see if you can figure out 49. 49. What is that and how is that significant to the Missing Chapter Podcast? Your answer is... We are in 49 states. Now, that it does include D.C. Phil, tell them where we need a listener, please. We need some help from you, the listener. If you know anyone in the state of South Dakota, they are the missing piece to us finishing this puzzle. And we would greatly appreciate to, you to reach out to that person, tell them how much you enjoy this podcast, and help us you know, get number 50 in the books, Phil. We're going to have to celebrate once we get South Dakota. I mean, we're in... We're in uh, other countries, right? Which is another question here, um, but we can't get South Dakota. Let's get South Dakota. Let's everybody. get South Dakota. Maybe there, there's a um, some sort of a giveaway in your future. Ooh, there you go to entice you guys to help us out here. All right. Now, speaking of other countries, just kind of gave it away. The number is 38. We are in 38 countries uh, worldwide, which is unbelievable. And we've we've said this before. We have somebody and and a group of people actually in Germany and mm-hmm. Iran and Aruba. But we can't get South Dakota. I'm feeling confident, though. After, I think it'll happen. I think it'll happen shortly after this episode, Phil. I hope so. So we need your help, everybody, <laughs> if you could locate someone in South Dakota. All right. So, Phil, what do we got on tap here for uh, coffee? 
Well, we, we went a little different here, uh, Phil. I went to the grocery store the other day and I was looking for something that we hadn't tried. And sometimes the coffee just, it, it, it speaks to me and it jumps off the, uh, um, the shelf. And this one for sure, Jim's Organic Coffee in West Wareham, Massachusetts. So relatively, I guess you could call that local. Sure. But it's called JoJo's Java. And for our listeners, uh, Phil has two beautiful young daughters. And the Thank one um, is Joella. Yes. And her nickname, Phil, is? JoJo. JoJo. So as soon as I saw Jim's Organic Coffee, JoJo's Java, we knew we had to, to brew that. And it's really good. It's pretty strong, I have to say. I love a strong coffee, though. It almost it almost mimics a, like an espresso. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's it would be a very good morning coffee. Yep. Something that would go well with your breakfast and get your uh, your day started on the right foot there. Yeah, absolutely. So now that we got the coffee brewed, we've addressed the South Dakota issue, which we're going to get resolved soon, I right. think. Um, let's talk about what you have for us today. Yeah, let's talk. And before I, I get into the actual story, Phil, you know, sometimes you, you get online or you open up a book and you look for a story. You know, mm -hmm. you research for the podcast. In this case, I happened across this story completely by chance. And the more I, I researched it and got into it, the more I fell in love with it. And really, I think this embodies what the Missing Chapter podcast is all about. I love it. It's very, very, I guess, random in that I, I had no idea that this story happened. It's in an area of the world I don't really think we've gotten into that much with some of our previous episodes. So I'm confident that the listener is really going to enjoy this one. I can't wait. You got me you got me hooked already. Let's hear it. All right. So we're starting out on the small island of Martinique, located in the Caribbean Sea. Martinique is a rugged island. It's part of the Lesser Antilles. Uh, it's an overseas region for France. And its culture reflects a very distinctive blend of French and West Indian influences. It stretches 43 miles in length and 19 miles in width. So it's, it's pretty small. Yeah, I was going to say. Yep. It's roughly 485 miles from the mainland coast of South Africa in the country of Venezuela. Okay. So it, it's out there. It's, it's definitely secluded. Martinique had proven over the years to be a very valuable colony of the French in terms of fishing. Um, you had a number of different exotic fruit plantations, specifically pineapples. Probably above all else, though, Martinique was very important to the French in terms of its sugarcane molasses and rum production okay interesting shout out to molasses in one of our episodes huh? that's right yeah the city of saint pierre is situated on the northwest coast of martinique and in may of 1902 saint pierre was preparing for an election that would help determine the governor of the city and some of the surrounding hillside towns the city itself boasted a rather large population several thousand residents in 1902 the election would be held on May 11th with incumbent Governor Louis Moutet representing the predominantly white, more conservative, ruling progressive party. They were ones with strong ties to the French, to mainland Europe, while his opposition in the election was Socialist Party representative Amade Knight. Knight was a black man who'd been elected senator in 1899 and had been educated in Paris. He gave voice to Martinique's racial majority of blacks, mixed race French citizens, and other minorities on the island. A possible Socialist Party victory and political gains in St. Pierre in the 1902 election represented a rather large threat in the eyes of the Minister of Colonies in Paris. A larger danger, that is, than the other threat that loomed over the island nation 
Mount Pele. Hmm. Pele, meaning bald in French, is the ominous volcano rising nearly 4,500 feet over the city of St. Pierre in northwestern Martinique. Not really what I thought you were going to say. Right. Because uh, when you when you think of volcanoes and any sort of volcanic activity, I immediately go to the Ring of Fire. I immediately go to the Pacific. I but think to, most people do. And I think it's, yeah. it's Ring of Fire in the Pacific. It's Vesuvius right, in Italy. Right. And here we have another story um, about a, a volcano. And I'm wondering if the people listening are saying, oh, I'm familiar with this one. This is a good one. Or I've never heard of this. All right. Well, I got to say, the, the way you've described this so far, being a bigger threat in an election, I'm where are you headed here? I'm kind of curious. Well, I'm going to leave that a secret. Okay. Okay. But we'll get there. The majority of the conservative voters lived about four miles to the south of the volcano. And in the weeks preceding the election, the mountain had been belching smoke and fire. Pele had lurched to life earlier that year, spewing a cloud of ash and releasing sulfuric gases all over neighboring towns. To the point, Phil, where several horses actually were reported to have collapsed in the streets, dead from asphyxiation. On April 23rd, a dry pond crater known as the Atang Sec, we'll come back to that, exploded. A group of local investigators climbed the volcano on April 27th and observed the pooling of water again in the crater, but this time coupled with the emergence of what they called a growing ash cone. <laughs> okay, that's quite the visual. I, where is this headed here? I'm so curious. Well, you so something's happening. Right. And it's, it, problems it's happening. Brewing. Right. Yeah. And days later, it seems to be forming again. And this is a volcano that had been relatively dormant up until, you know, the past year. So the fact that it's not just, you know, one instance of something right. happening, the second instance is right. a good indication something's going on. And Governor Mute establishes an official inquiry commission to study and evaluate Mount Pele's activity. So there's some concern, you know, with the government. Here. Right. But at this point, Phil, the French government intervenes. The modern French scholar Solange Contour wrote in 1989 that the minister of French colonies in Paris, at this point, issues an order, a decree, that Governor Moutet keep all citizens of St. Pierre in the city until after the election. Hmm. From here, Moutet began to take the necessary measures in order to ensure that the city's residents complied. First, he directed the editor of St. Pierre's local newspaper, Le Colonnais, to quell the increasing rumors of a possible eruption. Next, he orders that roadblocks be set up to prevent people from leaving the city altogether and making travel to the outskirts of town that much more difficult. And is this is this a fairly democratic area? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is to a certain degree. I mean, it, it's still a colony of the French. They obviously, I mean, this is a great example of, of the influence that they have. Right. But you have an elected official who's doing less than democratic wow. moves here. Kind of surprising, especially being a province or, or right. know, connected at least to France. Finally, Moutet censors incoming telegrams, specifically those from geologists warning of the eminent danger. So I think they're trying to just get past the election and then whatever happens, they'll deal with and hope that time is on their side. So you're trying to tell me a politician or a group of politicians are more concerned about an election than maybe the safety of a group of people? That's, Absolutely. That's really hard to believe. Yep. <laughs> on May 5th, Water and scalding steam burst through the rim of the crater wall. The released lahar, which is a combination of water and rock fragments, 
pummeled its way down the embankment and into the valley of the Blanche River. As a result, 23 workers in a rum distillery were killed. Shortly after this deadly incident, the governor's commission released their findings and a statement that deemed Pele did not warrant a full evacuation from St. Pierre. Wow. So despite 23 people losing their life, this commission miraculously says, that's it. It's safe now. Come on back in. Let's come let's on do back this. in. Right. The editor of the paper, not surprisingly, again, supported this outcome, also touting the city as safe. So not only did St. Pierre residents not leave the city at this point, but in an unfortunate twist of fate, thousands of people from neighboring ash-covered towns actually sought refuge at St. Pierre because of its position along the coast ballooning the city's population to an estimated 28,000 occupants oh my at this point. In a grand gesture of reassurance, Governor Moutet and his wife visited St. Pierre on the evening of May 7th to assure everyone that they had nothing to fear returning from a trip uh, that they'd taken to Fort de France. Overnight, several strong tremors shook the small island. The big election was a little over three days away. So... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So if I'm a resident, mm -hmm. everyone's telling me it's fine. It's okay. I'm tend, I'm going to tend to believe them well, until yeah. the ground starts shaking under me. And then I'm like, Whoa, what, what's happening? Right. And just to take stock, you have your governor telling you, don't go anywhere. We're good. Right. You have nothing from outside telegrams telling you otherwise those have been oh, right. You know, censored. Yep. You have the newspaper, you have the commission that was formulated, all telling you, stay put, it's safe. And if you are trying to move, there are obstacles throughout the city making that much more difficult. So on the morning of Thursday, May 8th, 1902, the cathedral bells of St. Pierre rang out. It was Ascension Day, and many of the Roman Catholic merchants were attending mass, taking a break from trading their usual fares, things like liquor, fish, spices, and sugarcane. Their rum ships, however, were still tethered in the harbor. Because of the ash and the poor air quality that had overcome St. Pierre in the days prior, general sickness and despair had pervaded the city. Most shops had actually been shuttered for days. People were inside. Shortly after 8 a.m., an enormous cloud of gas with temperatures exceeding 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit exploded over the mountain. Shortly after that, a tremendous blast sent an avalanche of boiling ash down into the city of St. Pierre. Roger Arnaud, a member of the Astronomical Society of France, was situated at a safe distance from the explosion and witnessed Pele's eruption. He reported hearing the deafening explosion and seeing a dark cloud traveling swiftly up and out of the crater, hugging the ground on a path down toward the city. Now, this sort of incandescent cloud over time actually became known as a Nue Ardente and is now considered the signature characteristic of a Pelean type of eruption. So, I mean, what's happening here is, is on such a mass scale, they're actually going to later on label certain geographic things they're seeing take place after the eruption. That, that is, that's incredible. Yeah. I know listeners, you can't see me, but I'm shaking my head. I, I can't believe... It's at such an extreme level, right? That in 2021 we still have a a name, like you said, a label to describe this kind of destruction. After the the officials and the people are saying, "Don't worry, it's safe, it's safe." Right, and I think 
one of the things we lose perspective on is is just how fast these things are moving True. and these events are happening. Because in your mind, you might be thinking, okay, they see the cloud, they hear the explosion, they feel the, the ground tremoring. Do they have time to get out of the city then? Well, the superheated gas and ash race through the city streets at nearly 200 miles an hour, it's estimated, and certainly didn't distinguish between political parties. Instead, it claimed the lives of the governor, his wife, and close to 30,000 others. What? In less than two minutes. In less than two minutes? In less than two minutes. So there's your answer. This happened so quick that most people really didn't even have a chance to understand the scope of what was happening, much less get out of the city and try and survive. Now, what I'm picturing, and and they say that the cloud of of ash and dust and and all sorts of stuff when when the, the Twin Towers collapsed, they, they called that like a pyroclastic cloud that almost almost was very similar to like a volcanic eruption, they right. said. And, and you can picture right now the people running down the streets on 9-11 mm-hmm. coming up on the 20-year anniversary. And you can picture those people running down trying to run away from that cloud. And that was just not to diminish that in any way. Right. But those are just two buildings coming down compared to a volcanic eruption. I mean, that that force and that power, that speed, I, it's it's unfathomable. Yeah, it's mother nature, I mean, just showing her strength on a grand scale. And she warned everybody essentially, right? right? You have mother nature saying, "Hey, listen, here's a couple of warning shots. You know, here's a couple of That's days it. worth of of preparation and and it's about to happen and no one really took heed of it. Not at all. The new AR dot overwhelmed St. Pierre. The bell of the master cathedral completely melted. Several of the ships in the harbor were either set ablaze or capsized. It's reported that only one managed to stay upright, with half the crew surviving, most of whom suffered serious burns. Accounts show that only two men survived the devastation of that fateful day. A 28-year-old cobbler named Leon Campere Leandre was sitting on his doorstep and able to take shelter inside, his legs and arms burning, while he escaped suffocating from the cloud of ash. Those close by him at the time of the eruption we're not so fortunate. Thanks for listening to and supporting the Missing Chapter podcast. If it sounds like we're having fun and we enjoy bringing you a new episode every week, it's because we are. Not only are we having a good time, but as teachers, producing our own podcast has allowed us to connect with our students like never before. In fact, when people ask us where we got the idea to start our own podcast, we tell them our students. If you're an educator and would like the opportunity to create, produce, and maintain your very own podcast, go to our website, themissingchapterpodcast.com, to learn how we can help make that happen for you. Don't be intimidated. It's easy and fun. Go to themissingchapterpodcast.com to schedule an informative and interactive webinar with us today so that you can get started on your own educational podcast for tomorrow. You'll have a great time doing it, and we'll get the opportunity to work with us directly. Your hosts for the Missing Chapter podcast, Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Welcome back. For our listeners, just to give you an idea of two minutes, all right, the commercial that you just heard was exactly one minute long. So two minutes, we know, Phil, is a short period of time. But when you think of it in in terms of two of those commercials, it gives you at least a barometer of just how short two minutes is. The the number of 30,000 is is quite extravagant and extraordinary. But I think it's the the two-minute mark that just blew my mind when you said that. 30,000 people is just a massive amount of people. But the fact that they all perished 
within two minutes. I mean, you said it was like a 200 mile an hour, mm-hmm. just rain of, of heat debris. And, and debris. And I mean, to put that in perspective, an Indy car goes like 230 miles an hour. Right. You know what I mean? So I, to, to think of mother nature exploding at that speed and that rate, and then killing that many people in such a short amount of time, really unnecessarily. Right. I mean, the, the two parts to this is that a tragedy that centers around some sort of a natural disaster in many ways is unavoidable. Right. But like you said, you know, prior to the break, there were so many warnings, so many red flags, weeks of warnings. Yeah. You know, very obvious ones too. But you just had someone who was so focused on selfish motives and following the orders back in France who were also, you know, very selfish that, you know, to to ultimately cost the lives of of 30,000 individuals and essentially wipe a a city um, in the Caribbean off the map is just on a scale. it's, It's tough to fathom. And I, I, we always go back to this, but I mean, being part of the missing chapter, why isn't this in textbooks? You would think this right. would be something, I mean, it would be an entire study somewhere. You right. Know? And it's 20th century. I mean, it's it's early right. 1902, yeah. but it, you know, again, we've said all the time in, in the grand scheme of history, it's really not that long ago. And, and we know obviously about Pompeii and some of the aftermath of that, but it, just the fact that it's never been heard of, at least for me anyway, I think is, is pretty astronomical. Mm-hmm. Well, it wouldn't be, you know, really a, a true episode of the Missing Chapter podcast without some sort of a small twist. And if you if you remember, I said that there were two survivors to this. Oh, okay. And okay. the second survivor has kind of an interesting story. The second survivor is 25-year-old Auguste Cipari, who was being held in a small underground stone cell. And when the cloud passed over the jail, it heated the interior like a kiln. But the poor ventilation of the cell actually protected Cipare from inhaling the searing ash. Afterward, Cipare survived in his cell by drinking from a small pool of water for three days (laughs) until workers searching the ruins heard his cries for help. Phil, ironically, Cipare was slated to be executed the day after Mount Pele erupted. Come on. No so, way. I mean, just an unbelievable added twist to an already incredible story. And subsequently, he was pardoned and he would spend the remainder of his life traveling with the Barnum and Bailey Circus, displaying <laughs> his scars for paying customers. <laughs> gotta be Wouldn't you me. expect a story like this to wrap up like that? Oh my gosh. So we went from an election. That's bound to take place, right. kind of normal. And then we had to the rumbling of the earth to warning signs that this thing is gonna is gonna blow. It explodes, 30,000 people, two minutes. Election obviously is beside the fact. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to the Barnum and Bailey circus. And, and somehow we ended up there. Oh Only gosh. with the missing chapter podcast. But thank you as always to listening in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Listen next Saturday, 2 a.m for another exciting episode. Check us out on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and visit our new website, themissingchapterpodcast.com. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.